Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And we are on and live and good to go. I'm not going to ask it. I'm not going to ask it. What aren't you going to ask? The thing that I always ask. What is that? I can't remember. How are you today, Dad? No, that's the same question you ask me every time. But I'm not going to ask it. Don't. Welcome to Spies and Lies, an espionage podcast co-hosted by me, Omri Rose, who spent his childhood living undercover thanks to his dear old dad and co-host, Jason, a retired former spymaster of one of the top intelligence agencies in the world. Without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. Heir of the Cursed, the assassination of Prime Minister Lumumba. chapter begins in the dark and tragic history of the Congo with the return to Leopoldville of deposed Premier Lumumba, following his capture by crack commandos of strongman Colonel Mobutu. Taken to Mobutu's headquarters, past a jeering, threatening crowd, Lumumba was impassive at this lowest ebb of his stormy career. Mobutu watched as his troops manhandled Lumumba, but promised the pro-red Lumumba a fair trial on charges of inciting the army to rebellion. Lumumba was removed to an army prison outside the capital as his supporters in Stanleyville seized control of Oriental province and threatened a return of disorder. Before that, Lumumba suffered more indignities, including being forced to eat a speech, which he restated his claim to be the Congo's rightful premier. Even in bonds, Lumumba remains a dangerous prisoner, storm center of savage loyalties and equally savage opposition. Dramatic moments in Lumumba's life. Do you think he's going to have a fair trial based on the uh, title of this episode? No. Sadly, Fair trials are not. not part of the books. No, no, no. That is an uh, old newsreel that I thought would be an apt way to open this episode. What did you think? Uh, you surprised me with it. I think it was appropriate. Knowing the, what is uh, to be the topic of our discussion, I think it's important. They made him eat his speech. I mean, you didn't see it because this is a podcast, but there's footage of them trying to literally shove this crumpled speech into his mouth. It's uh, quite unpleasant, I would say. We're dealing with unpleasant times and unpleasant places sometimes, unfortunately. Yes. But who exactly was Patrice Lumumba? 
Well, he was the first democratically elected prime minister of the Republic of the Congo. And at 35 years old, he was assassinated just seven months after being elected. The assassination was allowed to occur, was conspired by, and involved Lumumba's fellow Congolese politicians, Belgian officials, the UN, and supported potentially even by the CIA and other organizations. This is a massive conspiracy that took years to truly uncover. A crisis had engulfed Congo and continued to engulf Congo after his assassination. And eventually, coming out on top would be President Mobutu, who for three decades would rule as a dictator and a ruthless Western ally, one could say. Mobutu was also once Lumumba's friend. Eventually, Mobutu's rule would come to an end in the early, mid-90s, after finding himself allying with Hutu rebels during the Rwandan genocide, leading eventually to the First Congo War, which was essentially the African World War, millions dying in the process. Lumumba's assassination was part of the Cold War and decolonization efforts that swept across Africa, defining events of a post-World War II world. Lumumba was an African nationalist and pan-Africanist, basically someone who believed in African pride and ability and wanting to create like an EU in Africa, together strong, that kind of thing. He was a significant figure not just in the transformation of Congo from a Belgian colony into an independent state, but also as a figure in the African independence movement and the black rights movement in the U.S. Now, without me getting too much into detail here, I will hand it over to my dear old dad because one of his degrees was actually in African history and international relations. So why don't you take it away? Do you want to expand on anything? Well, I'm not going to make it a lesson in African history, but just to give us a good context of what's going on here, Congo is, you would say, one of the one of the richest countries in Africa from the point of view of its minerals, its its assets, its uh, only the size as well. Everybody wanted to control it, but it was controlled by Belgium, or you could say by the king at the beginning. The Belgians did not have the best reputation as a colonial master. The Belgians they wanted just to take what they could out of the country and they didn't really care too much about what they leave behind them as long as they are in control. And this is where the problem started, specifically when we're talking about Congo and talking about Lumumba. Africa was awakening. It was going to different directions. Are you connected to your mother, to the colonial country that was your mother, you would say your your mother country? Do you go completely independent? Do you break off ties to whatever you had before? Are you belonging to a certain tribe? Are you trying to make something together that was never a nation? There were a lot of questions happening in Africa at the time. And unfortunately for Lumumba, he he was with ideas that were not suitable for the time, and he paid the price for it. But that's a bit going a little bit further now, but take it from there. Right. I'll just expand that one of the particular exceptions about Congo when it came to the colonial powers, which were essentially the the European states that came in and and took over Africa was that Congo was not controlled by Belgium as a colonial power. It was controlled specifically as a fiefdom by the Belgian King Leopold II, who controlled it basically as like his own private territory. So it wasn't like owned by the state. Well, it did afterwards. but Afterwards, but initially. Yes. So unlike, let's say, the British in, in Kenya, which was controlled by the British and wasn't like a direct territory of the monarch, in the Congo, it was directly controlled by the monarch and his rule was monstrous. 
really horrible. Joseph Conrad's The Heart of Darkness really is about the Congo and venturing into it and, and seeing all these atrocious things happening. Obviously, it's a little later in the time period, but, but still, it's, uh, yeah, really horrible stuff. Congo, as you said, very mineral and resources rich, extremely wealthy, vast quantities of diamonds and cobalt. So, yeah, very desirable place to be in charge of. Well, then, of course, comes the element of the Cold War that we will touch as well on as we go along with the podcast that made a big difference. But let's get let's go along and then we'll see where it takes us. Absolutely. We begin with Lumumba's birth on the 2nd of July in 1925. His father was a farmer in Onalua, which is part of the Kasai province, which is basically in the center of Congo. He was a member of the Tatila ethnic group, and he was born with the name Elas Okita Sombo, his original surname meaning heir of the curse, the name made up of the words Akita, heir, and Asombo, cursed. Certainly a prophetic name to have in many ways. He had three brothers and one half-brother. He was raised Catholic, educated in Protestant primary schools, and then a Catholic missionary school. But don't be fooled, these were not extremely prestigious institutes of education. They offered the bare minimum of education, with the Congolese expected to basically become manual laborers in the Belgian apparatus of rule. However, Lumumba was an exception. He showed uh, great brilliance and aptitude, and as a result, he was given books by his teachers that he could read, and he really excelled with the limited resources available. Eventually, he would study at a government post office training school, and he passed a one-year course with distinction taking on a role as uh, a worker in the post service. He was known for being vocal and precocious. He pointed out teachers' errors in front of peers, and he was very outspoken. Eventually, he would learn how to speak Tatila, French, Lingala, Swahili, and Chiluba. So quite impressive, I would say. Look, it's impressive as well when you look at his background. This is a guy who's coming from nearly nowhere. It's not like he's a royalty or from a special family or from a special area. Very, very unique you would say, in the African society to have someone from that stature coming to become what he became. As well, that was probably one of the, the problems, but we'll get to it in a moment. One of the problems with the ruling class, but one of the powers that he had for Correct. the regular people. Yes. He was interested in enlightenment ideas, Rousseau and Voltaire, you know, things like freedom of speech, thought and religion, the importance of community and working towards common goals. And he was also fond of Moliere and Victor Hugo, Lumumba wrote poetry, often with an anti-imperialistic uh, flair. Certainly his education, as it would be expected at the time, lent towards this Eurocentric worldview. But from that, he took a lot of his ideals and later converted them into this pan-African worldview. Lumumba had three marriages in his short life. The first two yielded no children. He had a son by an affair, and his third wife was to a woman named Pauline Opangu, who he married in 1951 and had four children with. Even though he died young, he was able to leave behind children, which is, is nice to know. From the mid-1940s, he worked as a postal clerk, and for 11 years he did so in what was called Stanleyville, which is now Kisingani. He was on a path to become part of the Belgian Congo's black middle class. But the winds of change were in the air, and becoming active in civic life, by the early 1950s, he had taken on leadership roles in many, many different organizations— he was passionate about Belgians providing wider education access across Congo and promoting racial equality, writing in 1952, We promise docility, loyalty, and sincere collaboration to all those who want to help us achieve in union with them 
the element that is beyond us, civilization. This tone that he had, which was not as aggressive as many other revolutionaries at the time, you might say, drew the attention of Belgian colonial officials who began taking an interest in him. Who was this guy who spoke so well and was so educated and wasn't so angry with us? And so he had an audience with the Belgian king, Baudouin, when he first arrived in Congo in 1955. And I do apologize for butchering names. 1955, also, Lumumba became the regional head of the Cercles of Stanleyville. He also joined the Liberal Party of Belgium, editing and distributing party literature, becoming more prominent and important. If you look at it from, a, from the Congo point of view, if you want to be something and you want to unite them, you can't go on, a, on an ethnic ticket because you're not going to achieve the uni- unity. So you have to go on something different. So you have to get away from the, the old clans if you have to. It's difficult. Get away from the families or the, or the chieftaincies or religion and try and find something else. And that something else was something that was, at that time, strange to Africa. Right. It was very much inspired by the French Revolution, the ideas of yes. Rousseau, as we said. Correct. Because as you touched upon, Africa was didn't see itself as the Congo. It saw itself as, as different tribes and different ethnic groups, like many nations and, and these the ethnic world. groups had leaders yeah and they don't chieftains. want uh, chieftains and they didn't want their position to be taken away or moved or removed by some other movements that are arising in their in their arena and this is a big problem that has trickled even to today and plagued africa for, yes. for many years is this idea of the europeans came in and drew lines and called the different nations but those nations never existed in those forms necessarily there are some exceptions like Ethiopia, let's say. But even there, there are different tribal groups within these areas that identified themselves as those tribal groups. You know, There's nearly 90 tribal groups in Ethiopia, even more. So it's even, you know, even in those places, the tribal yes, groups. Yes, but I said Ethiopia specifically yeah. because, you, as you know very well, yes. Ethiopia was a united kingdom, a very strong one for many years. Correct. And, uh, you know, it's yes. kings uniting yes. those tribal groups. Yes. So, Mr. Smarty Pants. No, no, just... Making, making an observation. Making an observation. No, it, it's it's true. You know, even in a place that's quote unquote united, yes. it's divided, which is ironic in some ways because you look at Belgium itself, and Belgium itself is also divided of like the more Flanders area, the more Dutch area, the more French. You know, it's so there's similarities there. After a study tour in Belgium in 1956, Lumumba was arrested on embezzlement charges supposedly for misappropriating $2,500 during his work as a postal clerk. He was sentenced to 14 months imprisonment and a fine. These are almost certainly fabricated claims. Belgium trying to undermine his credibility and influence. Lumumba, of course, denied these charges and said that they were politically motivated. The conditions were horrible in prison. Lumumba saying of the food that a European would never serve it to his dog. His tone began to change. When he was released, he was more aggressive and called for Congo to free itself from the chains of paternalism. There was this concept of Belgium being the father or the mother, as you said, of, of the state. And to free themselves from this, they could rise up. They're, they're grown up. You know, they can take care of themselves. Correct. Here, look at him. He's educated. He knows how to do things. Give them the chance. What do you, what do you make of these embezzlement charges and the arrest? I'll, I'll, I'll tackle it from a different angle. If you give education, then... You have to give expectations with it. Opportunity. An opportunity. And when you deny it, you're creating um, a situation where eventually they're going to go against the leadership. And when you have people who voice themselves that way, 
this or you have to stop them or eliminate them or win them over to you but if you can't do some of this stuff you have to do other things and in this case they thought by arresting him maybe they'll put his passion a little bit on the back burner but apparently it was the it it, were, it didn't work for them on the contrary they started off as kind of liking this guy oh here's this guy he's not as aggressive and whatever then he goes to belgium on this study trip maybe while he's there they get a different picture they they don't like the the flavor of what he's saying it's a tactic i mean clearly based on all of his actions later i don't see him having actually embezzled this money it was, no it's it's you don't put someone to jail for that if you wanted him to be part of you they no, would have I'm found saying, a way I'm saying, to do something about it. I don't think he actually it. did that. I don't think he actually embezzled it based no, on his but actions. But even if later. you know, it's very easy as, as I can I can assure you to have a money misplaced or not registered in the right time. You can always use it to your advantage if you want. It's an opportunity. If it happened, or didn't it's, it's irrelevant. It's what they did to him that makes a difference. They wanted him out of the way. They wanted to silence him, and the yes. opposite happened. Correct. Obviously no longer able to work in the Postal Service after this, he took on a new job as a salesman, and he was magnetic with his speaking. Being a salesman, you learn how to sell, and that's exactly what he did. He helped found the MNC, the Congolese National Movement, and he became its leader. Unlike other parties, there was no ethnic or regional discrimination as part of its base. It wasn't based on a specific group or region. It ran on a platform of independence, on Africanization of the government. That means giving Africans the opportunity to take on roles because 90% of all the roles in, in the Congo were held by Belgians. They also ran on a platform of state-led economic development. A little bit of a, a socialist view, which we'll see later comes back to haunt maybe him. And also leading on a platform of neutrality in foreign policy, which as we find oftentimes neutrality just makes you the enemy of both sides. Right. It's a kind of uh, a difficult thing being neutral, unless you're Swiss. And even then. I don't want to start with the Swiss today. No, not today. Some not other today. day. Some other day. Right. Helps when you have a lot of mountains around you. Lumumba was massively popular with people because after all, that's who he was. He was a man of the people, from the people, from Correct. nothing. Yes. He rose up and he didn't discriminate based on where you were from and what you were from and what tribe and all those different things. And also he had traveled. As a salesman, he had traveled. As a postman, he had traveled. He met and knew people. He was charismatic and a magnetic speaker. He was also less dependent on Belgian contacts and connections, which was also appealing to the Congolese. In December of 1958, he attended the All-African People's Conference in Ghana, where he impressed and solidified his belief amongst other leaders. Tensions, however, were beginning to grow within Congo. There was pushback against Belgian authority. Change was in the air, but it wasn't happening fast enough. Other African nations were getting their independence, movements were springing up, but in the Congo, things felt stuck, and protesters clashed with Belgian authority. Then, in October of 1959, Lumumba was arrested as the leader of the MNC for inciting anti-colonial riots, 30 dead as a result of these riots. He was sentenced to six months in prison, right at the start of what was meant to be the Congolese Roundtable Conference in Brussels to discuss the country's future. Again, we have another arrest, which I find very suspect, right? Well, that's, that's what you did at the time. You just put someone away. Look at it in South Africa as well. But... We're not talking about South Africa, but it's the same pattern. A leader that comes up that can spoil your plans, you just find a way to put him under in, in jail. 
Yeah. Then he comes back to haunt you. As we have seen again yes. and again, like in South Africa too. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, yeah, you create your enemies, right? Yes. Elections in Congo had happened a month before the conference. And despite Lumumba's arrest, the elections resulted in Lumumba winning the most parliamentary seats in the first democratically elected government. Thus, pressure from the delegates allowed Lumumba to finally be released and attend the conference. In his early 30s, Lumumba undisputedly was one of the most important men in the country at the time. He had traveled across Congo, as I said. He believed an independent state could unite the Congolese divided by ethnic and regional loyalty. And even though he won the majority of seats, there were still dozens of other parties, and alone he would not be able to form a government. This was a coalition system where you had to have enough seats to have power. But he was the largest bloc, by a long margin. What broke out was a lot of political infighting between parties as they attempted to form a government. The system, as I said, was not like the U.S. system of a winner-take-all. But eventually, it was clear that Lumumba and the MNC had control of parliament after several attempts occurred to form a coalition without them. So imagine that. You've won the most seats by a long shot, and all these other smaller parties are trying to form a government without you. It happens. We've seen it in other countries and all these different things. In this instance, it didn't work. Lumumba was a force to be reckoned with and didn't allow it to happen. Finally, Lumumba managed to form a diverse government with members across tribes, class, and political beliefs creating an uneasy loyalty among this new government, but it was formed nonetheless. In June 23rd, 1960, Lumumba delivered his main speech that was well-received to the people, promising national unity to abide by the will of the people and follow neutral foreign policy. The government had two primary objectives, to improve the quality of life for the Congolese and unify the country with a centralized state by eliminating tribalism and regionalism. Lumumba faced opposition from the Belgians with this. Africanization of the administration, the Belgians were opposed to for several reasons. First of all, they thought that they were incompetent and they couldn't do the jobs and it was too soon, too fast. Take it easy, take it slow. But also, from a practical sense for the Belgians, if you fired all of the civil employees in Congo, they would be unemployed and they would come to Belgium and need jobs. That wasn't good for Belgian economy. Also, Lumumba wanted to reduce prison sentences and free up people as you said, who were imprisoned for various reasons. The Belgians feared that that would be a break in law and order, and they didn't allow the action to occur. This was still kind of a transition period where the Belgians were there, even though the new elected government was also there. Throughout all of this, Lumumba's opinion began to diminish of the Belgians. And he feared that independence wouldn't really feel real to the average Congolese, because on the ground, things didn't feel real to the people. You know, maybe in the upper echelons, the white people were still running Congo, and that couldn't happen. Yeah, as long as that's what it looked like and felt like, yes. the people were going to be angry. And when a lot of people get angry, bad things happen. On the 30th of June, Independence Day was celebrated, and the Belgian king gave a speech praising Leopold II, that monster of a man who we talked about earlier in the episode, and how he had advanced Congo as a result of his rule, ignoring the atrocities, saying... Don't compromise the future with hasty reforms and don't replace the structures that Belgium hands over to you until you are sure you can do better. Don't be afraid to come to us. We will remain by your side. Give you advice. Not scheduled to speak at the Independence Day celebrations was Lumumba, who had been writing notes furiously during the Belgian king's speech. Angry at what he was saying, having ignored all the atrocities and as if they just delivered independence to them on a plate. So he rose up and began to speak, saying, For this independence of the Congo, 
Although being proclaimed today by agreement with Belgium, an amicable country with which we are on equal terms, no Congolese worthy of the name will ever be able to forget that it was by fighting that it has been won. A day-to-day -day fight. An ardent and idealistic fight. A fight in which we were spared neither provision nor suffering, and for which we gave our strength and our blood. We are proud of this struggle, of tears, of fire, and of blood, to the depths of our being, for it was a noble and just struggle, and indispensable to put an end to the humiliating slavery which was imposed upon us by force. Powerful words. Very powerful, and I think one sentence is, the, I think, in my mind, the most strongest one that probably annoyed him the most. The first one. And that is saying... For equal. this independence, yes, being proclaimed today by agreement with Belgium, an amicable country with which we are on equal, equal terms. For them, for Belgium, to hear that these people who they did not even consider worthy of a country, assuming they are equal to the Belgians, for them it was something they could not understand, could not hear, and they, they couldn't understand it. We have to remember the, 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 the days or the times that were completely different from today, the way the Europeans looked at the Africans. They didn't look them as equals. I think they you'll didn't. find today a lot of people still don't, unfortunately. Uh, yes, that's unfortunate. But specifically those days, and specifically the Belgians. Yes. And when you said that, it was like putting a finger in the eye and saying to them, we are, like, we are equal, if you like it or not, and we'll make our own decisions. And that moment is when the Belgians, I think, decided we have to get rid of this guy. Wasn't scheduled to speak, then stands up and speaks this... They exactly. knew it was trouble. But they knew it was trouble. Western journalists at the time called the speech a vicious attack and were shocked by it. Of course, we find it uh, who very those powerful in today, but... Who was those Westerners correspondents, people from Europe? Yeah. They didn't understand the reality of the real world that was going on around them. No, they did not. In spite of his fiery speech, administrative burden and bureaucracy made things move slowly and change was not felt by the rank and file who became frustrated. In fact, the first legislative action of Parliament was to raise the salaries of its members. Lumumba fearing repercussions for this, and he was one of the few to actually vote against it. Really not a good look. Your first official action of Parliament to raise your own salary. When Maybe other countries struggling. should learn from that as well. I, I agree. I agree. Yes. A voting body should not be able to vote on its own policy. Especially not the first day to vote for increasing your salary. Yeah. But let's continue. It's, but I think it's interesting that Lumumba voted against this. Yes. You know, it speaks to his character. Yes. And also, I think, shows that these charges, obviously, we, we assume that they're fake. But, it, you know, proof yes. is proof. You know, here's voting proof. Right? Trouble was around the corner, as it seemed to always be, in the Congo. On July 5th, 1960, there was a mutiny in the army. The officers frustrated that things weren't changing, they weren't being promoted, and that Africanization wasn't happening. Famously, the officers complaining to their white superiors that nothing was happening, the white superior officer wrote on a blackboard, before independence equals after independence. As in, nothing was going to change, buddy. Get used to it. Which had the opposite effect of what he was hoping for. And there was mutinies and uprisings, Europeans beginning to flee as gangs of soldiers and looters popped up and caused all sorts of trouble. This was only quelled by personal intervention by Lumumba, 
who took steps to quell the protesting as he immediately enacted promotions to the different Congolese officers into key positions, such as the future president, Mobutu, as the army chief of staff, despite rumored connections that Mobutu had to Belgium and U.S. intelligence, which at that time, most people had certain connections if you came from more prestigious families and different things, right? Yes, yes. Except for Lumumba. But you have to understand something else here, that when you... When your ticket to unite the people, is the, the common people. ticket is the, the common ticket is independence, and you deliver that, then it comes to the day-to-day running of a country, and then you become to have the splits between the coalition and the different interests. So to get the vote to get in was let's get in under the ticket of unity, had to have independence. The moment that's in, and you manage to achieve that, then the next thing is how do you actually run the country, and this is of course. He couldn't do, one of the reasons he couldn't do it, because he really, he did not have had enough power in the, you would say, he didn't come from a, a royal family. He didn't have armies of supporters. He didn't have a clan to support him. He didn't have that. And he was going against people who felt threatened that their power was going to be diminished or being taken away from them. So it was a, it was a double trouble from him, his point of view. One, he couldn't deliver to the next stage that he wanted to. And second, the people who are in power that were Congolese, they didn't want to give up their power to something that they felt was not them. They understood if it's Belgium, okay, but someone from their own country that come from a pedigree that's not recognizable, for them it was much more difficult to swallow. That's why to appoint someone like Mobutu, who maybe had a little bit more pedigree, who had more connections and contacts, who had a whole clan behind him, was the right move from the moment to do, but it had a price. And the price is that you give someone, power. you give him power. At first they were friends. They were they yes. were connected. They got along. Yes. But when opportunity arose, certain things obviously occurred yes. later. In days, all the European officers were replaced with African ones, a few remaining on as advisors. The mutiny spread across the country as eventually two dozen Europeans were killed in the uprisings. In July 10th, Belgium intervened, sending 6,000 troops to protect, which actually made matters a hell of a lot worse. The Belgian Navy even bombed and killed 19 civilians, then moved through cities and occupied them while clashing with Congolese soldiers. Lumumba's job did not get any easier with different people trying to protect their own interests and independent thinking. And you have to understand, Congo is a huge country, and the infrastructure is not there. Is, is not there. It's not like there's roads that you can or trains move or people around easily or troops easily or get people going from one place to another. It was very minimalistic for the point of view where, where you could get your people from or to yeah. in a short time. In, in some ways, you think of Afghanistan, you know, of this rough territory that is separated with these different clan divides and different things and all these different empires have tried to control it, but it's very hard. Well, here we don't have Afghanistan terrain. We have no, jungles terrain, obviously, and, but and still difficult terrain and to very traverse. Difficult terrain and difficult to, to go through. It's not just you can just, there's very limited paths you can go through specifically for an army. An army is not just one a guy with a machete. Right. That's not an army. Right. Speaking of national interests, the Belgians were determined to keep certain assets under the new state, such as in the southern province of the Congo, known as Katanga, which was mineral rich. 
containing half of the world's cobalt reserves, which makes things like cell phone batteries, alloys, as well as diamonds. I think diamonds were more important then than... Then, yes, but cobalt was still important. Uh, and cobalt of course, was very important, very important. Around the world, it was people were looking for it. Yes, and of course diamonds, which the De Beers, Belgian, and yeah. you know, all this stuff, the, the diamond trade, it's horrible history of Leopold II in, in Africa. and Yep, but that was there. That's, that's where it you was. You have to understand as well something else about Belgium. Their wealth didn't come from Belgium. Their wealth came from the colonies, and specifically from Congo. Yeah. Yes, they had Rwanda and they had uh, Burundi and they may have had a little places here and there that they could consider part of their colonies. But the main colony, the main resource that actually made Belgium rich was coming from Congo. Without that, they really couldn't compete, not with the Dutch, there was a competition with the Dutch, or the French or the British. So for them, giving up Congo was like, how are we going to survive? How are we going to continue? How are we going to pay for all the things we have or how continue our lifestyle that they have in, in Belgium. And the king himself, the, the lifestyle he was used to, especially after the Second World War. So they did not want to give up Congo. They had to because that was the trend. But in their mind, they were not ready to give it up. And so they came up with a little clever solution. Sure, 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 independence. But the southern independence, part of Katanga, exactly. independence, we need to control the mining assets Independence, here. when economically we're in control. And that is what Lumumba did not want. Right. The mining interests in the Katanga province actually had their own armies because it was so valuable, their own private mercenaries and such. The most important of the local politicians in Katanga was a man named Tshombi. He was from a wealthy family, which was close to the Belgians, who Malcolm X referred to as the worst African ever born. He was known for wearing foreign suits and having foreign bank accounts, all provided by his Belgian allies. The people of Katanga actually looked down on the other Congolese, who they thought of as laborers who came to work in their mines. Lumumba won no victories in the Katanga province during the election. Now, Tshombi and the Belgians feared that Lumumba and the Congolese government would control the mining profits, as you said. A U.S. embassy memorandum to the Congolese army leader summarized the Belgian mindset as... Take orders from the president of the Congolese Republic, but if these orders were of a destructive nature, the Belgian government would hope that he would use his common sense and not follow them. This was essentially the line that the Belgians were pushing to the different people. Tshombi welcomed Belgian troops into Katanga, which very quickly afterwards declared itself as an independent state. That's what happens. You have uh, a huge country... Some of it is very wealthy. They're far away from the main, uh, from the capital. They have their own interests. They have no support for their leadership in the, the country. And why should they be part of it? Now, they were never really part of the big Congo. Yes, maybe they, because of the colonial time, they became one, but they never felt part of it. So it was easy for them just to declare independence and be accepted. That's what they did. Yep. Belgian soldiers also advanced on the capital, controlling airfields, and they gave orders to Lumumba of where he was allowed to travel. Belgian soldiers at the time were fairly loose on the trigger. There was a famous incident even where they fired at Times correspondents, saying that, In the dark, I thought they looked African. Lumumba asked the UN for help. How do you think that worked out? And like a lot of times when people go to UN, you don't get the answer you want. He asked for troops to keep peace and support the government. That was the, the UN was for, wasn't it? Yes, that was what the UN was for, especially then, 1960s, height of the UN, you know, yes. all that good stuff. The head of the UN at the time, 
uh, a Swede by the name of Hammerskold. Uh, he was from Swedish nobility, in fact. Didn't particularly like Lumumba. He, he didn't get along with him very well. That's where we get into the personal touch, which we'll see seems to plague Lumumba later and how personal relations go a long way. For whatever reason, he didn't like Lumumba. And he did send troops, but they were basically useless and did nothing while they were there. They refused to enter Katanga to take care of Tashombi's little independent state, and they didn't do much against the Belgian troops rampaging around the country either. Also, when Hammerskjöld visited Congo and the capital, he didn't even meet with Lumumba. Instead, he went straight to see Tashombi. Lumumba outraged and shocked by this. Now, the UN at the time was still new-ish, and even though now we're used to this kind of UN ineptitude, let's call it, in, in a lot of these conflicts around the world. conflicts around the world, then it wasn't so new, and there was a real hope and thought that they would do something. And so there was a big disappointment when they didn't. The UN at the time claimed that it didn't want to undermine Belgium. Of course, Belgium was a big supporter of the UN as well. So it was one of the founders. One of the founders, so... You know, one of the old European establishments, kingdom king you don't go against them and support some newly 35 year old a guy who come from African the bush upstart yes in the u.s eisenhower felt that congo's future was grim eisenhower was president at the time lumumba made a trip to the u.s in july of 1960 which was a disaster pretty much there was not a really big high level reception and he didn't really manage to garner any military assistance lumumba was an impassioned speaker who rallied the crowds but in-person diplomacy, historians have suggested that he often struggled. You have to understand something else. When you look at all the languages he spoke, he didn't speak English. True. And when you want to deliver your message in a direct way, with, without someone interpreting it, you need to have the direct language. And if he's speaking to the, and the President of the United States, did not speak French as far as I know. And it's not the same. So he didn't get the message through. He couldn't. It was difficult to then put over your opinion. To make matters worse, the opinion of uh, the Americans seemed to be much like the U.S. ambassadors to Congo's opinion, which was making jokes about Lumumba being a cannibal. How lovely. And the CIA was concerned about Soviet influence, as they often were after World War II and the Cold War tensions going about. Now, Lumumba was not a communist, but as Hammerskjold stated, he was an ignorant pawn too erratic and inept for the Soviets to use. That's Hammerskjold's opinion, anyway. Nonetheless, Lumumba felt abandoned by the U.S., as well as Canada, which he also visited. So there's a bit of French if you spoke to the people from Montreal. But there garnered no support. So he appealed to the Soviets, which, of course, for the Americans, is never a good thing when someone appeals to the Soviets, even if you've been ignoring their Correct. cries for help. Now, the Soviets eventually agreed to help, though what they offered was unclear because, as we'll see, didn't get much time to put it together. Exactly. Lumumba also appealed to other African states and was well-received there. In Guinea and in Ghana, they actually pledged military support, while other African nations said they would work together with the UN to try to resolve the Katanga secession. But so frustrated with everything, in July 14, 1960, Lumumba broke off diplomatic relations with Belgium. A big move. And in August 9th, he declared a state of emergency. Well, if you look at it at that where you are now at this stage in the history of Congo and Lumumba, you break off your ties with your, with you say, the motherland. You try and kick them out. You don't get the help you want. Your country is split between different factions. 
and now you've turned to the Russians to try and help you. What, what are you as America, or what are you as a Western country supposed to do with this guy? Are you going to support him, or are you going to support someone else? Are you going to get rid of him, or are you going to find a way to deal with him? Yeah. And as we see, they, they did find a way to deal with him, not in a democratic way. Uh, well, but at this stage, at that specific moment, when you look at it from when you cut off ties with Belgium and you make contact with Russia in these early days of the Cold War, that's not so early, but in the days of the Cold War, you're basically doomed. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. He had no choice. They were going against him. Yeah. They were working against him. Yeah. And the UN wasn't doing anything. No, he everybody no was against support. him. Yeah. Nothing. Add to the problems or feeding the flames, as you said, of, of US suspicion or Western suspicion. In his declared state of emergency, he enacted press restrictions uh, requiring approval for public meetings and gatherings. He also, they were taking away their independence. But part of his reaction is what I'm saying is declaring a state of emergency, which was needed. Right. And part of that was enabling these press restrictions and all these different things. And he also limited his cabinet to a few trusted people, like a cabal. And he was becoming more fearful of, of, of spies everywhere. So again, from the outside, you think, uh-oh, what's going on? Acting a lot like the Soviets act, a lot like communists act from the Western perspective. Then more tragedy struck as another secession happened in South Kasai, which was another mineral-rich area. And uh, Lumumba approved Mobutu's plan to put it down. But in the process, the Congolese troops butchered civilians, lots of them, only feeding the fire of uh, the central government being mistrusted by the everyday person who, if you were an everyday Congolese person, you'd think, what the heck is going on? The country's falling apart. In August of 1960, fearful of Lumumba's appeal to the Soviets, the CIA authorized plans to replace the Lumumba government initiating all sorts of different things such as CIA-sponsored protests, disrupting Lumumba's speeches, as well as beginning their assassination schemes. One CIA agent saying, The CIA had developed a program to assassinate Lumumba. The program they developed, the operation, didn't work. They didn't follow through on it. It was to give uh, poison to Lumumba. And they couldn't find a, a setting in which to, to get the poison to him successfully in a way that it wouldn't appear to be a CIA operation. I mean, you couldn't invite him to a cocktail party and, and uh, give him a drink and have him die a short time later, obviously. And so they gave up on it. Uh, they got cold feet. And instead, they handled it by the chief of station talking to Mobutu about the threat that Lumumba posed and Mobutu going out and killing Lumumba, having his men kill Lumumba. That was John Stockwell, former CIA agent, 
an operative in the Congo at the time? Well, we've uh, discussed a number of assassination props in the past in our podcasts. Some are successful and some not. The fact that they were openly going against a nominated prime minister shows you that they've already made a decision, and a decision like that is not only made by the chief of station, but it has to come from much higher. It was a cooperation between more than one country, and it was a common interest, and they realized they had no choice. It wasn't putting him on trial and then saying how bad he is or not. It was eliminating him and putting someone else instead. And they already had someone in mind, Mr. Mobutu, who his history afterwards proved that they were right to put him in because he delivered exactly what they wanted. What they wanted. What they wanted. Not good for Congo, but... Well, it was good for Congo in some ways, but very bad for Congo in other ways. It was good for Congo because it kept it united. It kept it under the Western influence. He just made a lot of money for himself instead of spreading it into the country, but that's a different problem. But actually from the point of... with dictators. Yes. There's an, some you can mention these days as well that are very wealthy and the people are not. But in this case, they bet on the right person to do the job. So they got it right from that aspect of it. Lumumba had to pay the price. The situation was deteriorating fast for Lumumba. Leaders in Congo and the West felt that he was uncooperative and erratic. The president of Congo, Kasavubu, broke his alliance with Lumumba. Messages with Hammarskjöld showed that he had no problem with Lumumba's removal as well. UN officials on the ground preventing Lumumba from going on the radio even. The UN was cooperating against Lumumba, doing exactly the opposite of what they were supposed to be doing. Not a very neutral party in in that situation, is it? Author Stuart A. Reed, in his book, The Lumumba Plot, The Secret History of the CIA and a Cold War Assassination, writes that Lumumba trusted no one, typed most of his letters himself, saw personally to the management of his residence's garage, and was propelled by a messianic belief in his historical destiny. Lumumba stating, The Congo made me. I shall make the Congo. This sounds like a man becoming more and more paranoid, rightfully so, I might add, closing himself off as the world crumbles around him. The Catholic Church went on to openly criticize Lumumba's government. Lumumba threatening Soviet intervention if the UN doesn't help and do what he felt was their job to do. Again, not a good look to shout, I'm going to call the Soviets to come help me if you don't do your job. Legitimizes the actions they did against him. In their minds. In their minds. Yes. Disaster was imminent and came in steps. President Kasavubu feared a Lumumba coup, and so he dismissed Lumumba on radio. Lumumba then immediately denying this and saying it was unconstitution. A battle in parliament then took over. In September 14, 1960, Mobutu announced a peaceful resolution to the problem by himself taking over, essentially. Lumumba attempted to change Mobutu's mind, but was attacked by troops and then rescued, only to be confined at home as Mobutu allied with Kasavubu in the end. Then, in December of 1960, Mobutu's troops caught and arrested Lumumba after he tried to escape, facing charges of inciting the army to rebellion. The CIA, all along, helping Mobutu, who took on the role of the main power broker in the area. The UN requested Lumumba be treated with due process, and the Soviets demanded his release, as well as Hammarskjöld's resignation and removal of UN peacekeepers, plus the arrest of Mobutu and Dushombe. So, as we see, this is becoming a massive international global geopolitical mess. The Soviets demanding the UN going away, even though the UN weren't doing anything, but just because they're perceived as against the Soviets. I mean, it's a whole disaster. Hammerskjold saying, I fear everything will crumble. Lumumba's wife was denied medical care at the time, and she was in labor, ending up giving birth early to a daughter who sadly passed away. Lumumba later escaped on a rainy night, 
trying to whip up support, but was caught. UN soldiers watching and doing nothing as he was beaten, concerned for the legality of their intervention. Later, in the last documented letter that Lumumba wrote, he said, In a word, we are living amid absolutely impossible conditions. Moreover, they are against the law. A man of justice who believed in law and order, who was betrayed by injustice and interests all around him. He'd grown up on the ideas of Rousseau and freedom and liberté, égalité, and was betrayed by not having support, not having backing. There are many things that happen here. Could he have done things differently? Of course he could. Was he able to continue to rule? Probably not. In a country like that, if you don't have the support of a strong force behind you, you don't really have a chance to continue. And we've seen it in the history of Congo even to these days. It doesn't escape you. You have to have something more than just a vote of the people, maybe. It's, uh, it's, it's not it's enough. It's answering it's the enough. question of, or what? If you can't answer, or what, what are you going to do, right? If I'm Lumumba and I say, you have to do this, and then someone says, oh yeah, or what? And then Lumumba says, well, you have to because it's the right thing to do. Well, You have it, no backing behind look, your or what? He is the first prime minister. He has just been voted in. He's only 35 years old. Don't forget, it's not like someone 60, 70-year-old or even 80-year-old who is in power, who has some history. And the connections. And the connections and the contacts and knows how things work. His, the first times he went to Europe was to meet the king. To the America was to meet the president without knowing the language. Being in a scenario where he was well over his neck with all these problems, a country that even today is difficult to rule. But you had his ideas were right. His ideas were the right ideas. The only way he knew he could get Congo to be united was to go away from the old system. But getting away from the old system was not only getting away from Belgium, but this is well getting away from the old system in Congo. Now, Congo's history is kingdoms that were very powerful and very independent. Africa as well was trying to find itself after the colonial time. What can we do? How can we do it? Some colonials allowed the countries to work in a certain ways and developed middle class or the British were more open about how they allowed the civil servants to become, they were part of the system, the, the Africans. The French were less. They were, they were running the country. They didn't allow the local people to be so much. They said, we're all French. We will give them French passports. They're French. Therefore, it doesn't make any difference who runs it. You are getting French citizenship. You don't have to vote for your country because you are French. The Belgians didn't even do that. The Belgians, they didn't regard them, know that they got them Belgium. And they never wanted to give them Belgium citizenship. But they didn't want them even to be part of the power or to be part of the game. Mm -hmm. So when you take over, who, who can do it? What kind of people can actually run a country all of a sudden? So it didn't have really time to do it. So he hadn't, the ideas were great, but the circumstances just were working against him, and there was no way he could have managed. Yeah. His end came quick. January 13th, 1961, soldiers at the camp Lumumba was held at refused to work. Some supported Lumumba's release, others didn't. The situation was tense. Mobutu and President Kasavubu and other officials arrived and resolved the issue, deciding that keeping Lumumba there was too dangerous. And so, Belgian officials ordered that Lumumba and two of his associates be taken to Katanga. Of course, where he has many, many loyals. Yes, no loyalists, lots of Belgian rule and authority. But what's, what's interesting is here you have Belgian officials working with Kasavubu and Mobutu, 
and the Americans and all. The, I mean, it's just such a crazy twist on its head of everything. So days later, on January 17th, 1961, Lumumba is flown to Katanga by Mobutu. And there, Tshombi, Belgian officials, mercenaries, and others beat him and his associates for hours. When the head of the CAA in Congo heard that Lumumba was flown to Katanga, he did not intercede or alert his superiors. He was, in fact, quite close with the Mobutu. Maybe he could have influenced him not to send him there, or maybe he didn't have any interest because they were friends. Or it was in their interest that it all went as it did. So what you don't know can't hurt you. And if the higher authorities didn't know, they wouldn't be liable. Natural progression of events, unavoidable, eh? The job was not done until he was supposed to be eliminated. So was he eliminated? Lumumba was driven to a remote area, and he was murdered with two members of his party. In the drive, Lumumba is said to have asked, You're going to kill us. To which he received a simple reply. Yes. Lined up against a tree, each man was shot one at a time. Maurice Impolo, Joseph Okito, and Patrice Lumumba. They were thrown into a shallow grave, and the next day they were dug up under Belgian orders to prevent a burial site being created. The bodies were dismembered, and sulfuric acid were used to destroy the remains. The Belgian, Gerald Sote, brought home Lumumba's molars and a finger as a prize. Three weeks passed before statements were released of Lumumba's death. Initially, they were claiming that he was killed by villagers as he tried to escape. Of course, no one really believed that. Protests were organized against Belgian embassies in several European countries. But it was a whimper, and nothing changed. It was over. They didn't want to make him a martyr. You don't want to leave a grave. You find it a lot in different areas and around the world where you don't want to have someone someone to go and rally around a grave of someone or somewhere you can be. Sometimes you want to do it for good reasons, and sometimes you want to do it not to idolize someone if he was a great hero and he's become more important than the cause, like Moses, Genghis Khan, or other people who are still looking for the graves. So there are people that are leaders that you don't know where they're buried because it's important to keep it that way. But there are people that are murdered and no, nothing is left, so no one can go there and cherish it and stand behind it and unite behind it and make ceremonies. They were just gone, as if they never existed. But they did exist, and he was remembered. And now there are monuments and memorials and sites around the world. As for the aftermath, fighting and factionalism continued for four years after Lumumba's death. UN forces trying to end Tshombe's Katanga secession and failing. UN head Hammerskold flying to meet Tshombe in Zambia, then northern Rhodesia. But his plane crashed along the way, killing all on board. The circumstances around that, murky. Was that itself an assassination or a sabotage? There's all sorts of rumors, but that is not something episode. episode, or if we do one at all. Yes. Tshombe eventually fled Congo in 1963 when the UN finally ended the secession. He returned, however, to become prime minister. Mobutu and Kasavubu knew he had Belgian support. With Belgian and U.S. intervention putting down another rebellion not soon after, famously joined by Che Guevara. Tshombe went into exile after Mobutu seized power in 1965, completing his... Complete takeover. And Tshombe died in 1969 in Algerian custody. Mobutu overthrew almost all of the Congolese political class, essentially making himself a dictator. He changed the country's name to Zaire and instituted extensive nationalization programs. In fact, much like Lumumba would have wanted. 
but he kept the money. I didn't give it to the people. He claimed to be anti-Western, but in truth, he was supported by Western governments and intelligence throughout his rule. But it was at least a relatively stable and united rule, if not by an iron fist. In 2002, Belgium officially apologized for its moral responsibility in the execution. And in 2020, after Lumumba's daughter's appeal, Belgium returned the gold-capped tooth belonging to Lumumba. In June of 2022, there was also finally a formal apology by King Philippe of Belgium. He was martyred in death, in a way, for his ideals, if not his successes. Would he have succeeded? Would he have been remembered? You know, we can ask the same of like JFK in some senses. JFK is idolized in many ways because of the nature of his death, even though if you look at politically the things that was going on, maybe his political history would not have been so golden in some ways. But uh, Lumumba became an icon and a symbol in the world with a complex legacy in Congo. Mobutu himself raised him up as a martyr for his own political gains. And perhaps that's partially why there's a conflicted view of Mumumba now in Congo, because Mobutu doesn't have the best name. No. He was, however, seen as the father of independence for Congo. You know, fathers can sometimes be complicated characters, can't they? I don't know. <laughs> you tell me, <laughs> my son. I think so. But if you look at the objectives of the West, they achieve what they wanted. What, what did they want? Stability. They wanted stability. And leaning And they access. wanted the minerals and the resources of Zaire not to go to anyone else, but to the, from their point of view, and As long as it so, wasn't going to the Soviets. It wasn't, as long as it wasn't going to the Soviets or the Chinese. That was later. But again, if you're looking at it from a long range, a long time, this is... Success. Th that was a success from the point of view of what they achieved, what they wanted to achieve. They brought in the guy they could work with. Yes, and you got rid of someone who was not clear they could deliver. Now, would he have been able to deliver? If you look at the circumstances of his coming into power, he didn't really have any experience. If you look at it, he was... What experience gave him to run a country, really? He never ran an organization. He ran maybe ahead of an organization, but it was short time, and most of the time he was working in the post office. I was saying that to become a prime minister, the best way to go is through the post office? I'm not sure. But in this case, he didn't have a lot of experience, not on the world stage, and not of running a huge, complex situation like a country. Well, he wasn't given a chance either. No. But again, his ideas were the right ideas. But his experience and the backing that he had was not there to make the delivery that he wanted to. And eventually... His downfall was his capability to deliver what he wanted to promise, what he promised. And the West, in their eyes, had no choice but to move him so that the country doesn't go into complete chaos. Now, from the Belgian point of view, they had to understand that they had to give up Congo. It took them a long time. You could say they never reconciled with it. They always wanted that whoever takes over would be connected to Belgium. And that's right from their point of view, because they needed it. You would say that Belgium needed Congo more than Congo needed Belgium. For sure. For and sure. and from that point of view, when Lumumba decided, one, me and you are equal, and two, I cut off ties with you, they left the Belgians with no alternative but to remove him. So, yes, you could say, were the Americans behind it? Yes. But are the Belgians behind it? 
for sure the Belgians made sure that that would happen. If you look at the UN's role, you'd say... They're all complicit in it. Did the UN do a neutral job? No. Should we expect the UN to be neutral? We do. But there's always... Interests. Interests and personal connections and contacts, as we said. Everything is personal. Now, poetic justice with Doug Hammarskjöld, dying in Africa. If it was an accident or not, we don't know. But we do know that... What he did there was not exactly neutral from the point of view of what Lumumba and Congo would have wanted the UN to do when it was established. So, a lot of questions. Things could have gone down very differently if a few things would have changed. Lumumba, I feel, saw things in a naive way of, of good and right. You know, And doing the good and right thing is what people do. And that's he believed in the French follow. Revolution, that the right always win, the right comes yeah. to the end. The good and the right yes. thing to do is what people do, and why not, for the better good. So if he maybe was a little bit more politically savvy, experience would have helped there, certainly, then that would have helped. And also, if the UN would have actually done their job, would have prevented a lot of this stuff from happening. I, I don't think so. I mean, they should have done their job, but I don't think they... Because of looking now, you look at the history of Congo, what happened afterwards, after Mobutu and the years of bloodshed, and there was blood of bloodshed. And even today, I mean, Congo is a powerful nation, but is it a prosperous country like it should have been? Unfortunately not. Is it a leading African country like a lot of African countries? You see where they've come to? They could have done much better with themselves. If Lumumba would have been alive today and would have looked back, would have said, this is not the Cong- maybe this is the Congo I wanted, but I would have hoped it would be much more developed and much stronger than it is. Yeah. Although Congo, it is difficult to run a country like Congo. And you have to understand that if you understand the, the size and the population and the terrain, you understand this is not just an easy place to run. Right. Certainly not easy for a 35-year-old idealist without exactly. much history of running a thing and without much connections on the who the probably went on who was probably traveling five years ago or three years ago on a bicycle from city to city difficult there's but this, the fact that we remember him and the fact that he's remembered shows his importance idealism is important that the ideas that he had work and the fact that he came from nothing shows one that anyone can do it and two it's inspiration for a lot Absolutely. of african leaders and other leaders around the world and he is that that sometimes you pay the price for what you believe in but in the long run, it's the right thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. There's a saying that when your only tool is a hammer, everything becomes a nail. So I think, as you said earlier, with Lumumba's case, when he made himself look like a nail, the only option for the West was a hammer. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're referring to Russia? I'm referring to Russia, obviously, in that... When he made himself look like he was going to join them and become a Soviet whatever and and be uncooperative with the West, in their mind, they may have had other tools, but here was a nail. If you look at, we discussed it in a different episode, we talked about the Bay of Pigs, where Cuba actually moved to Russia, not from the first choice, but because they were directed there. Yeah. We have to remember that as well. Yeah, yeah. The amazing pieces on this chessboard of the Cold War, and again, this goes to the naivety of of Lumumba in that 
if he would have been maybe more politically savvy or aware and understood the precarious placement that he had. I mean, that quote, for instance, that he said in his last letter that it's it's not legal, you know, they're against the law. It's naivety. It, to me, it's, first of all, it's beautiful, right? Yes. You know, in a world we are living amongst absolutely impossible conditions, moreover, they're against the law. Moreover, they're against the law. Not only is it difficult conditions, but it's against the law too. I mean, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful worldview. It's like, but it's not real, you know? It's not understanding that in this world, if you're not with the West or if you're with the Soviets, that means you're against the West. And this neutrality is is fine and good for Switzerland, sort of, but doesn't so much work in Congo at that time anyway. No. It's really hard to be neutral because like we said earlier, it makes enemies of everyone. And in this case, it made enemies of people who had the means and the desire to change things. He wasn't want to be neutral. He wanted to be independent. And they didn't, at that time, he could not be independent. He didn't have the tools for himself, and the countries that he was involved with did not allow it. And this Cold War mentality dominated the thinking of, of all the different international communities at the time. Correct. You know, us or them, pieces on a chessboard. And then there's the idea of the personal relationships. You know, we, we've talked about this often, that everything is personal. He didn't get along with Hammerschgold, and he didn't have these relationships with the other leaders in Congo. He didn't do well in America when he went over and talked to different people. He was young, idealist, from humble background. How much, in your experience, are these personal relationships what holds sway among the decisions of the world? Well, when you when you were talking now, I, it made me think about Zelensky and saying, is this personality made Ukraine manage to stand up to the Russians? Or was it nothing to do with it? And I think the personality of the person and what he stood for and the way he was able to deliver and speak and make the relationships he did saved Ukraine from going a certain direction. So yes, of course, personal contacts and connections are important. But we're talking about different era where I'm thinking about him who went to Europe for the first time. Was he ever accepted as an equal? Did he feel himself as an equal? He did. But did he ever, when he was walking in the streets of Brussels, did they did, look at him as an equal? Did he equal? For sure not. What did they think about him? It was a different world, a different time. He wanted to be treated as an equal, but the people he was talking to did not want to see him as an equal. And that's where as well the personal connections come from. And of course the language. When he comes to already America and Canada, very difficult to speak in a certain way with a certain passion, if you don't have the language to follow it. And so much of his rise to success was his ability to, to speak talk, yes. and talk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you think things would have been different, for instance, if he had a, a good relationship with Hammerschgold in the UN? Yes, but there was no way he could do it because he was always in prison or he was running around the bushes. Where, where would he have a chance to meet any of these guys? But they had a negative relationship, it seemed like. He was going against was... everything they wanted to stand for. It wasn't in their interest to have him do what he said he wants us to do. Where was Lumumba's intelligence? Where's the Congolese intelligence service helping him and protecting him? We're talking about a country that just started from zero. You think the Belgium intelligence who was running the country would give him any information or help him out? Nothing. Even the people that worked in the intelligence who were from the Congo P2 
people, they never had any responsibility, responsible jobs that they could then all of a sudden take over and give him the information he needs. Who was doing it? It was white Belgians or Belgians, people who worked for the Belgian government for years and years, or influential families, that their interests were, first of all, for Belgium, not for Lumumba. He had no one to back him. He had Again, no one to help the him. The contacts, the connections. Nothing. He didn't come from Nothing. it. Didn't have the access. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. In some ways, the fact that he won the majority of seats did a disservice to him. If you want to talk about that for a moment, you would be surprised that actually they were allowed to win. If you think about it from the point of view of the Belgium point of view, the fact that he was allowed to win, that is a surprising thing. Democracy. He had the most no, seats. No, but that's, yes, democracy. And they tried to make a government without him, but he had too much Omri, power. Omri, democracy in these places is not one man, one vote. It's who you ask, who you tell people to vote for and how much you pay for people to vote for, especially in those days. And the numbers are so vast. I mean, maybe 5% of the people voted. I mean, most of the people were in the villages. They, they didn't even know there was an election going on. Or the cities. It was the 1950s. What did they know about anything then? It was the main, main cities, and there was an election, and the Belgians probably and others were so sure that, that there's no one's going to win that they don't want to get in that they just allowed it to happen. And then when it happened, they said, oh, my God, how do we stop this now? How do we reverse it? And that's what happened. Well, what I'm thinking is that if he didn't win such a large majority and he was just part of the government and some other he would have been executed man. or you think so look what Maputo did outspoken yeah probably it would have been someone else there would have been a coup it, it, you could not run there's certain countries in certain periods of time could only be run by dictatorships so you think it was inevitable what happened in Congo yes because of how it happened because of the, the nature steps? of the country and the way it didn't it moved from one era too fast too fast because the Belgians did not prepare the country. It wasn't in the nature to prepare the country from one transaction to another. Mm -hmm. Even in other places in where the, Bel where the Belgians were colonies, in Rwanda and Burundi, I don't know how to tell you what happened in Rwanda and Burundi, and that came a lot afterwards, but still, they did not leave a strong enough foundation for these countries to run in a democratic way. Well, I will end with a quote from Lumumba, which I think gives a, uh, a strong idea of his character. Neither cruelty, nor violence, nor torture will make me beg for mercy, because I prefer to die with my head raised high, with unshakable faith in my country's predestination, rather than live in submission, forsaking my sacred principles. This was Spies and Lies. Thanks for listening. And remember, choose your allies. And choose your friends. You might need them one day. And most importantly, choose your enemies. Spies and Lies is a Grumpy Golem production with original scoring and mastering by Julian Dussel. If you enjoyed listening, don't forget to share with your friends and leave a comment or review wherever you listen from. It really does help. If you have any questions or subjects you'd like for my father and I to cover, drop us a message and we'll do our best to get back to you. Until next time.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.